in John chapter 2, and you don't have to turn over there. We're going to be turning over some other things. But in John chapter 2, there uh, is a story of Jesus when he goes into the, the temple, and uh, uh, he didn't like the way they were playing church. He starts kicking over some tables. He starts running some people off. Um, uh, he just wasn't happy about what was going on. And uh, the, the scripture that is quoted, the Old Testament scripture that is quoted there says that, that uh, the zeal of your house has consumed me. The zeal for your house has consumed me. And this morning, we're going to talk about having a zeal for people to be set free, but it may be in just a little bit different way than you think that it's going to be coming. See, Jesus was committed to the cause. He was committed to, to who he was. He was committed to the cause of, of, of coming and representing the kingdom of heaven, and he was not interested in anything that was going to be pulling away from that. So this morning, we're going to talk about, are we committed or are we just part of the crowd? Okay? Sometimes we're in the crowd and we don't even realize we're in the crowd, and I'm not throwing any stones at anybody, but sometimes we just need to, to have a little look and go, you know, really, where am I sitting? Really, what, what am I doing? And we're going to be in Luke chapter 19. We're going to look at several passages of Scripture this morning. Uh, but the first one is going to be in Luke chapter 19. It starts in verse 2, says, And behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus. He was the chief tax collector, and he was rich. Now, you need to understand that at this time, tax collectors, they were basically the mob of the day. And the way that they made money is they, they taxed everybody. And as long as uh, Rome was getting their money, anything else they could get, they got so these guys got rich, and he was the chief tax collector, and he was obviously very good at his job because it says that he was rich. But in verse 3, it says he was seeking to see Jesus. He was seeking to see Jesus. We never need to be surprised when those that we thought would never have anything to do with God suddenly start seeking to see Jesus. All we need to do is listen to some of your testimonies to know that God can get through to some of the hardest-headed people in the world, right? He was seeking to see Jesus, but on account of the crowd, he could not. You see, the crowd, those that just want to hang around, they quite often keep people from seeing Jesus. The point is that the crowd just gets a glimpse, and, but the committed gets to see See, the crowd, they had already lined up along the way that they knew Jesus was going to be coming. And they were just looking for a glimpse of Jesus. But the crowd sometimes in their, in their, 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 their selfish heart to just get a glimpse of Jesus, they keep people from seeing Jesus. And here was this chief tax collector. He had obviously heard about Jesus. There was already something going on in his heart. And he was committed to seeing Jesus, even though the crowd was keeping him from doing that. As the, as the scripture goes on in verse 4, it says he ran ahead and climbed up into a sycamore tree to see him. See, the committed will do whatever it takes to encounter Jesus. Verse 5 says that when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry, come down. Listen, being committed 
to seeing Jesus, being committed to encountering Jesus will ensure that he sees you. Jesus had walked by the crowd. They were just getting a glimpse. Did he stop and talk to any of them? No, he stopped and talked to the one that was committed to having an encounter with him. You see, the crowd, they quite often say, God, come to me. God, I got a problem. You come to me. Jesus, come fix my problem. Come do this. Come do this. Come do this. But the committed say, I'll go to God. In James 4, 8, a very familiar passage of Scripture says, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. We've heard that Scripture before, right? Now, James, he's, he's writing to the church. This is not an evangelistic tract that he has put out. He is writing to the church, and he says, if you draw near to God, God will draw near to you. That's some instruction, right? Take a step towards God, and he'll take a step towards you. But you know what we don't usually hear is the second half of that verse? Let me read the whole thing to you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Ouch. Who's he talking to? Church, right? Quite often when we take that step towards God and he takes that step towards us, we begin to see the inconsistencies in our life. Right? We begin to see some things about us that we may not have even recognized before we took that step towards God. But now that he's coming close towards us, in all of his, his beauty and his glory, it begins to shine on some of the things that he wants to deal with in our life. He calls us double-minded. I mean, that's mean. <laughs> Double-minded. In, in, in the first chapter of James, he says, don't be, double, don't be that double-minded person. They're unstable in everything that they do, and don't let that person think that they're really going to get anything from God. What is he really trying to say is, you can't claim to be something and live like something else. Right? See, the crowd wants to claim that they believe something, but live like they, they believe something else. You can't sit around and talk about how much you believe that Jesus Christ, the power of God, can heal your body and live like a hypochondriac. Right? I mean, that's just an example. We can't be double-minded. And then he goes on in verse 9, he says, Be wretched and mourn and weep. Dang, it's getting worse. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. That's, this started off with me taking a step towards God. I thought there was supposed to be love, joy, and peace in this. I'm taking a step towards God. He takes a step towards me. I start seeing this stuff in my life that he really wants to deal with. And what is James saying? Quite often when we see these things, it's going to break us. What he's really describing is, is, is repentance. Repentance, weep. Have you ever been in a place of repentance and, and, and just you begin to see things that you know are in your life that are not pleasing to God and you just begin to weep over them? 
I mean, it's really the presence of the Lord coming in and we just weep over it. Now, that doesn't mean that everybody that weeps has, has truly repented, nor does it mean that somebody that didn't bawl and squall didn't repent, right? But I believe what James is describing here is repentance. When we see that we've been double-minded, it should bring some mourning to us. There may be some weeping about it. But he goes on because the committed, those that are committed to see Jesus, it'll change you, right? Verse 10 says, humble yourself before the Lord and he'll exalt you. It's a progression. Step towards him. He steps towards you. We see stuff in our lives. Oh, I don't like this stuff in my life. God, I really want to deal with it. And he says, when you humble your heart that way, he's going to exalt you, right? Because seeing and encountering Jesus always changes us. Back to, to Luke 19. I know I'm going fast because once again, I said uh, I had to shave off some time. I cut off my whole front end story. You know that story that everybody waits to hear every week. <laughs> Back in Luke 19, verse 8, it says, And Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Behold, Lord. This is Zacchaeus speaking. Behold, Lord. I want you, I want you to notice this. Zacchaeus has just had an encounter with God, right? And he's already calling him Lord. How many, how many people saw Jesus walking by and they were going like, yeah, he's that teacher. Oh, well, some people say he's a prophet. Zacchaeus had an encounter with him and he calls him Lord. Immediately, he calls him Lord. He says, behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor. And if I've defrauded anyone anything, I will restore it fourfold. Fourfold. I want you to see when you've had a real encounter with God, you become quick to serve. You become quick to serve. Immediately, he became a giver. You see that? Immediately, he became a giver. Immediately, he became uh, concerned about the less fortunate. Immediately, he began to take responsibility for his mistakes. You see in this? You see, the, the, the committed, once they've encountered Jesus, there's always a change. But what about the crowd? The crowd, in verse 7, it says, the, you know, we know the crowd was there. It says the crowd grumbled. That's all the crowd got. They got a glimpse of Jesus, but they just grumbled. The committed had an encounter with Jesus and was changed. All right, second thing I want to show you. The last few minutes I have. <laughs> the crowd waits, but the committed touches. Now we're going to be in Luke chapter 8. Luke chapter 8, verse 40 says, Now when Jesus returned, the crowd welcomed him. For they were all waiting on him. And the crowd waits on Jesus, right? Here they are waiting on him. But in verse 43, it says there was a woman who had a discharge of blood for 12 years. And though she had spent all of her living on physicians, she could not be healed by anyone. She came up behind him and touched the fringe of his garment. And immediately her discharge of blood ceased. The crowd's still waiting. 
She got healed. Faith doesn't wait. Faith always causes us to move towards God. Faith always causes us to reach out towards God. And the committed will do that because they have a commitment in their faith to connect with God. The crowd's still waiting. Oh, I wonder what he's going to do. See, this morning in the, in the throne room service, uh, when Corey got up, he started talking about, let's stop being spectators. You know, he's really talking about the same thing that I'm talking about. We don't want to just be part of the crowd. We don't want to be uh, just spectators. We want to be committed to moving towards God. In verse 47, it says, when the woman saw that she could not be hidden. In other words, she could no longer hide what had happened to her. If we were reading the, the whole story, you know, Jesus is walking there. I, I know most of you have heard it and probably read it yourself. But Jesus was walking there, and the crowd, doing what the crowd does, they're just all, you know, what's he going to do? Uh, and then Jesus stops. And he says, who touched me? And Peter says, Okay, Jesus, <laughs> you see the crowd. Why would you stop and say, who touched me? And he said, no, power went out from me. See, the crowd can be around. They can be talking. Let's see what he's going to do. The crowd may have even been touching him, but they were not touching in faith. She touched in faith, and power happened. She could no longer be hidden, and she came trembling and falling down before him, declared in the presence of all the people why she had touched him and how she had been immediately healed. See, when you're committed, we become quick to serve others with our testimony of faith. The crowd just wants to get me something. But when you're committed and God has really done something in your life, I know you people get tired of me talking about uh, being sick and almost dying and getting healed, but you know what? Every time I talk about it, it builds faith in people because God touched my body. God healed my body. And here she is. She's giving because she's giving her testimony of faith. She told why she touched Jesus and she told what happened. We don't know the person sitting next to you this morning, somebody working with you this week. They may walk in and they may have something going on in their life and you hear that and you go, God's already done this for me. God's already set me free in this area. God has already healed me. God has already, already taken my marriage and put it back together. And here they're over here struggling when we're quick to serve, we step out with our testimony of faith so other people can be set free. So be quick to share your testimony of faith. Think of, think of David. One of the stories that even people that, that aren't Christians and never been to church have probably heard of David and Goliath, right? Here's David. David, you know, 14, 15-year-old kid. He goes down where the battle's supposed to be happening, and all he sees is a big giant taunting the armies of Israel, saying, send me somebody over here, anybody. I'll fight anybody. And David's go, I'll go. Send me. 
And they're going, shut up, boy, what's wrong with you? What is wrong? He might hear you. But he just keeps talking, and he just keeps going. And suddenly he gets before the king, King Saul. And he walks in there, and he says, hey, king, don't worry about that giant. I got this covered. And he goes, you can't go. You can't do that. And what does David do? David begins to tell the testimony of his faith. He begins to tell the testimony of victories. He says, there was this lion that came along, and it stole a lamb. But the power of God came on me. He anointed me, and I went and I rescued that lamb. And then there was a bear did the same thing. The bear came along and stole one of the lambs. And God used me to rescue that. He's preaching such a good message that in 1 Samuel 17, verse 37, he says, The Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and from the paw of the bear will deliver me from the hand of this Philistine. And he preached so good, he stirred up faith so good, the king who had told him he couldn't do it says, Go, go, go do it. A faith that touches Jesus changes your life so you can serve others. All right, in my last point, I'm going to do this. Yay. I'm sorry I'm so stirred up. I just enjoy this. Some people, why do you yell so much? I, anytime I get excited about anything, that's the way that I talk, okay? <laughs> I promise you. It, it, it is not just stage presence. Anybody that has sat with me in my office, if I start sharing vision, I start getting loud and I start going like this and... It's just, just me. All right, the third thing that I want you to see is the crowd just wants blessings, but the committed wants what endures. The last scripture we're going to look at is in John chapter 6. John chapter 6, starting in verse 24, and let me just set a little bit of background here. The day before... What we're about to read, Jesus has just fed the 5,000. If you're not familiar with, with that story, all these people have come to, to hear Jesus speak, and they've been with him all day long. And Jesus says, we're going to feed them. And they go, well, we don't have any food. And he said, well, we got to have something. And they go, well, there's two fish and five loaves of bread over here, but, you know, that's not going to feed, you know, probably wouldn't feed Peter. But he takes it, he blesses it, he breaks it, and he breaks it apart, and he sends the disciples out. And it says that they, they fed 5,000, maybe even more, because uh, uh, one of the gospels says 5,000 men plus women and children. So Jesus has just done this. And that night, he and the disciples get in a boat, and they go across the, the lake there, so we pick it up in verse 24. It says, So when the crowd saw that Jesus was not there, nor his disciples, they, they themselves got into boats and went to Capernaum seeking Jesus. And when they found him on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you come here? And Jesus said to them, See, see Jesus always knows he always knows. Now, you, you got to know he did this in love. Everything that Jesus did was in love, right? Sometimes when, when God speaks very directly to us, it's in love. He says, truly, truly, I say to you, you're not seeking me because you saw signs. Now, what signs should they have seen? Really, what he's saying is, 
uh, I was showing you the signs of who I am. I was showing you the signs that I'm the Messiah, the one sent from God. But you're not chasing after me because you saw signs. You're chasing after me because you got your tummy full. Truly, truly, I say to you, you're not seeking. uh, You are seeking me not because of the signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. Do not work for food that perishes, but for food that endures to eternal life. Now, was there anything wrong with, with, with eating the fish and the loaves? No. But he's saying that, that can't be our focus. That can't be our focus. And when we're committed, we know that there's blessings there. But see, the crowd, that's all they want. All they want is just, just blessings. Just bless me, bless me, bless me, bless me, bless me. Right? You know, the crowd, they're, they're always looking for a new revelation. You know, I've, I've got to hear this new podcast. I've got to go to this conference And the the problem is they're not living the last revelation that they got. They're always saying, you know, I need a word. I need a word. I need need a prophetic word. Is there anything wrong with getting a a prophetic word? Absolutely not. But when we're ignoring the word, when we're ignoring the word, I need direction, Lord. Lord. Go to the word. And then when you do get a prophetic word, it will confirm what the Lord's already saying to you. They say, I need a sign. I need a sign, Lord. You gotta gotta send me a sign. But they're ignoring the signs that God sends them. So we can't ignore the signs. We cannot Look past what God is doing for us. The crowd gives up when too much is expected. In verse 53, Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. What was Jesus saying? Commit. Commit to the cause. Commit to what he's calling you to do. Commit. But see, when the crowd hears this, when the crowd feels like that that too much expectation is being put on them, the scripture goes on to say that after this, many turned back and no longer walked with him. But the committed knows that there's no other option. In verse 67, Jesus said to the 12, Do you want to go away as well? And Simon Peter answered him and said, Lord, to whom shall we go? In other words, there's no option. There's no place for us to go. We know that we're called to be in this place at this time. So if you're determined to see Jesus and not settle for a glimpse, if you know that your need is to touch him and not just wait, If you want what endures and not only seeking his blessings, we have to commit to serving others. Serving others. Zacchaeus served by giving. The woman served by sharing her testimony of faith. And the 12 served Jesus because they knew that that's where they were called to be. So 
So, guest, excuse me for just a second. I'm talking to the home crowd. Do you know that you're called to be at NCC? And if you are, do you know that you're called to serve alongside of us here at NCC? Now, I don't want this to feel like, oh, Lord, he's just trying to recruit people for children's ministry. I would not spend a whole sermon just to recruit for children's ministry. Now, Savannah would be happy if I did it. But if we're going to stop just being a part of the crowd, you know, you can be saved and be a part of the crowd. You can be a church member and be a part of the crowd. But if we're truly going to be committed, if we're truly going to press into the things that God has called us to do individually and as a church, we've got to serve. We've got to serve each other. So what in the world would I be asking you to serve? I'm going to share just a little vision with you here in the last few minutes that I have. I'm asking you to be committed to praying and believing and inviting so we can see a hundred people saved in one calendar year in this church. Okay. Obviously, there's a bunch of crowd people out here. I didn't like that, bless God. I want to see a hundred people saved through this church, through the people of this church in one calendar year. Do you think that's on the heart of God? Didn't just pull the number out of, out of the air. I believe that's something that God has spoken to us, that if we will pray and we will believe and we will serve together, that we will see that in a calendar year. I want you to pray. I want you to believe. I want you to be stretched beyond where we are right now. Because God has called this church to be a multicultural church. Amen. I know. You're going to have to do it better. Amen. Thank you. Amen. Thank you. You're not clapping for me. We are, we've been called to be a multicultural church church. And I say this and people get irritated with me, but we are not called just to be a white church where people, other ethnicities feel comfortable. If we're truly going to be the church that God has called us to be, we have to embrace other cultures. That's going to take some stretching, right? It means so much to the leadership of this church, we actually put some numbers down that by the end of the year, 2023, that there'll be a 60-40 split. That's stretching, because right now we're about 85-15 on a good day. But that's the heart of God. Listen to me. That's the heart of God. That is the kingdom of God. There's no segregation in the kingdom. There's not going to be segregation when we get to heaven. You don't get to live on one side of town. Everybody else lives on the other side of town. I'm asking you to believe, to pray, to put your faith out there, to invest and invite. We want to be a church where the membership is a member, (laughs) where at least 80% of the membership is serving in the ministry, some capacity. 
You know, in most churches, this has been said for many, many years that 80% of the people do, 20% of the people do 80% of the work. But that's not us. That's not New Covenant. We're quick to serve. Serve in the house. Why do we serve in the house? We serve in the house because we are removing obstacles so others can connect with God. We're serving so we can see those hundred people saved. We're serving so children's church can grow back to the place it was pre-COVID. That's going to take some work. There were weeks where we were seeing 60 and 70 kids back there. And I'll finish with this story. David Livingston was a, was a missionary. He was a missionary to Africa in the, the mid-1800s. And he would push into places that, that other missionaries had not gone. And he'd become uh, really world famous for, for the things that, that he was doing. And there was a mission organization in England that, that sent him a letter. And it said, or it asked, is there a good road that leads to where you are? Is there a good road that leads to where you are? Because if there is, we want to send some men to help you. He wrote him a letter back and said, if you only have men that are committed to coming because there's a good road to where I am, don't send them. I don't want them. I only want men who are committed to the cause of Christ, whether there's a road or not. And I'm telling you, some of the things that the Lord is, is asking of us doesn't make us better than anybody else. There's a reason that I can stand up and say we, we're not in competition with any church at all. We're just doing what God has called us to do. And if we'll do what we're supposed to do and other churches do what they're supposed to do, guess what? The kingdom wins. We're, we're not fighting other churches. But God has called us to do some unique things. He's called us to, to, to wrestle through the problems because there are some problems we don't really understand. How do you have all five of the ministry gifts operating within a church? It's scriptural. Apostle, prophet, pastor, evangelist, and teacher. The only time it becomes unscriptural is people say, well, you know, God forgot about that a long time ago. But, you know, I can still turn over to Ephesians chapter 4 and go, I don't think he forgot about it. Right? He's called us to do some things that I don't believe there's a template that we can lay over it. In other words, there's not a good road to where we're going right now. So when we talk about being quick to serve, we're asking you to get in here and, and, and fight through this with us. Wrestle through this with us. We're going to make some mistakes, but there's some glory on the other side of it. I promise you, because God wants to use you, not just those of us standing on the stage. Use you. So, those that are a part of the crowd, you know, they only want to serve when it's convenient and easy. They don't want to go out on outreaches. When we go to laundromats, when we go up under the bridge, that's not convenient. That's not easy. Give me something easy. But when you're committed, you're willing to blaze a trail if necessary. 
You're willing to climb a tree to see Jesus, to fight through the crowd, to touch Jesus, and you're willing to go even when others walk away. So what is the Holy Spirit saying to us this morning? What is, what is he saying to you? Because you can hear the voice of the Holy Spirit. And I hope nobody received anything I said like, like it was condemnation coming on you. I thought, I thought it was pretty cool that, that Kenny and Corey got up here and talked about this is not condemnation. There may be some conviction, and there's some people in the church when they get under conviction accuse me of preaching condemnation. I, don't go, I think that's God talking to you, okay? What's God talking to you about? What has he called you to do? What is it within the house that he's asking you to engage with? What is it outside of the house that he's asking you to engage in? And how can we help you be who God has called you to be? That's the most important thing. That's the most important thing. that you have the opportunity to, to live and to operate and be in the gifts that he's put inside of you. So I'm really asking you to commit, to walk this with us. Get some discipleship, because we're laying out a, a, a great plan of discipleship. Be discipled in who you are. We're not trying to make everybody the same. God didn't make us all the same, did he? So let's be disciples. Let's follow him. Let's be quick to serve. When we see a need, let's be quick to serve. When we hear there being overrun in children's ministry, let's be quick to serve. When we hear that, that people in, in the church are in need of something, let's be quick to serve. When you go to your, your job and you see someone in need, whether a physical need or a spiritual need, be quick to serve. Because this is a core value of this house, is being quick to serve. 